0: Hello and welcome back to the Faith Seeking Understanding podcast. I'm Roland. I pointed at you while I said that. I'm Roland. This is Matt. And we are busy looking at Ecclesiastes in the context of wisdom in the Old Testament. Uh, So we're going through Ecclesiastes. Last time we went through 7 verse 1 to 9 verse 11, which was looking at um, wisdom in relation to death and uh, and that kind of stuff. So we saw a lot there about how wisdom is good. but it should be... It's not where you find your happiness. It's where you... Um, well, death makes it clear that it's not where you find your happiness. Damn. And uh, it needs to be guided rather by fear of the Lord, fear of God, um, and seen for the good that it is, but not over overhyped, right? I think we co-headed, again, underscore quite strongly the the limited value of wisdom. Yeah. And um, that's... Yeah, it's valuable. Yes, it'll get you this far, but don't expect it to take you all the way don't expect it to take you further there are going to be people who are stronger than you and your wisdom isn't going to get you out of that mess yeah so this time around he's still talking about wisdom so remember this is a, a projection of what we saw in the royal experiment in chapter two um and so they had two things to say about wisdom the first was that the wise get what the fool deserves namely death and and um being forgotten um and then he talks about how the fool gets what the wise deserves, right? Where in the example he uses is that the wise man um works really hard with skill and labour and all these things and then he dies and have to give it over to the fool who does none of that. As you said that, like he sort of paused after the wise man and all I could think of builds his house upon the rock. <laughs> My daughter <laughs> yeah. has the song that she does in Sunday school that goes to that effect. <laughs> Yeah. You sort of pause, and all I could think was Balder's house upon the rock, and then you start talking about the work that he does. You're like, oh, yeah. The wise man builds house upon the rock. The fool doesn't. The fool's house gets destroyed, but then he inherits the wise man's house. There we go. There we go. Um, and this is a problem, right? Like, if you're, if you think happiness is about being better off, and you're looking to be better off through wisdom, and the fool, you're, the wise person, is not intrinsically better off than the fool, mm-hmm. that's a problem. Like, you're, you're, you're not looking in the right place. Yeah. Um, So just as we've seen in previous episodes, what Kohelet is going to do is um, repeat some of that idea, expand upon it. Um, This idea of what I call incongruity, where like the fool gets what the wise deserves. It's like it's not how things should be. Mm. It's a very general term because really that's descriptive of the entire book. Um, But I can't find a better description of it. So that's what we're going with. Yeah. and uh, so yeah, he's going through more examples of those. At the end of the section, he's going to commend his idea of fearing God, uh, joyful toil in the fear of the Lord. Um, but for the most part in this section, it's probably the most disconnected section of all of them. So mm. there is that th- the through thread of through theme, whatever you want to call Three it. Through line. Thank you. Um, of incongruity coming up in different ways. How like fools are often in the place of, where or fools or people who shouldn't be in the place like lower people are in the place of higher people or mm. uh, where the wise should be, and he peppers in some advice every now and then. If you don't try and find happiness in the pursuit of wisdom, right. um, so that's what we're going to see. Um, he starts off with what I think is a really great summary of this idea of incongruity, which is again I still one to the sun in this. Sorry, in uh, nine verse eleven, we're looking at nine verse eleven to twelve verse eight. So he says, again, I saw under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like a fish taken in an evil net, like birds who are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Right. This is the basic idea. Um, We're using the idea of time now that we saw earlier when we looked at chapter three. It's not just about... The duration of your life but about just your life in general like when you're when you're living right um and it's like you just don't know what context you're going to be thrown into um it doesn't follow the rules that it should uh and this sort of undermines the pursuit of happiness or of being better off um through wisdom because it's like well if things went according to the rule the wise people would be better off but things don't always go according to the rule yeah. time and chance happen to the law we just don't know um what's happening uh, yeah, he goes through a bunch of examples about this. Sometimes, interestingly, I think part of what makes it so difficult is that sometimes chance or incongruity works in the favor of the wise, and sometimes it works against the wise. Yeah. So we see that in this first example that he has, where there's a poor man who's wise, and he's able, through his wisdom is able to deliver a city from um, it being besieged by a foreign king. And you're like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And then he says, yet yeah, no one will remember that poor man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, you would think he would be remembered, but no, that's not not going to happen. Um, but then there's the, incongruity in the fact that this poor guy, who would have been looked down on in society, is able to deliver the city. Mm. Um, and so it's like, okay, what what's going on here? Like, this is crazy. Yeah. But, but again, it underscores the point that he's, that he's already been making, that wisdom will only get you so far, and that what profit is there for a person in all their pursuits under the sun? Well, yeah. we can try approaching it from the angle of wisdom, but well. Even when it works, it doesn't really doesn't work. doesn't really work, yeah, um, depending s- on the ends that you're setting it to, yeah, we see this idea again in the next verse. I love like seventeen eighteen is just such an interesting little thing. He says the words of the wise are uh, the words of the wise in quiet are better than the shouting of rule among fools, so that you can think of like actually, whenever I read that, I think about Hitler, Yeah, because i don't I always have this because ex- he did all those speeches where he would like shout and get like everyone rallied around him. And everyone's like, yeah, we're going to do this. And it's like, think about what you're doing. You know what I mean? Like, like, don't do that. Yeah. Um, But anyway, so, uh, and then he says, wisdom is better than the weapons of war. Great. But one sinner destroys much good. So both have these disproportionate effects. And so it's sort of like, Mm. you're just in this chaos of like, what's going to happen? Who's going to like have the last say? Mm. Um, and he continues that thought. I mean, you can see verse t- chapter 10, verse 1, dead flies make the previous' ointment, give off a stench. Um, so little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. But then um, he'll talk about in verse 3, even the fool walks on the road he lacks sense, and to everyone he looks like a fool. <laughs> so, like, the fool to- the fool is the person who digs the pit and falls into it, right? Or goes towards a serpent and he gets bitten. These are all examples of he's later. Yeah. Um, the wise helps him to figure out, like, um how to navigate those complicated situations what's a wise what's a clever thing to do what's not a clever thing to do but it's like better the person who has his eyes in his head um so in the royal experiment he i mean he says yeah wisdom will get you so far like it's better not to walk around in the dark right but yeah yeah and then i mean this is an example where he's expanding it in in 10 verse 6 he says Folly is set in many high places and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Mm. Right. So that's just like another example. That's not necessarily wisdom or folly related, but it's just like things just don't work like they're supposed to work. Yeah. Um, and we could keep going, but I think the examples here that I'm sort of giving out, I think make it clear that this is sort of like, he's just coming up with more and more examples of these like weird things where it just doesn't work how it should. an <laughs> um, interesting idea like later where they talk about um, you know, the, a wise man in terms of speech, a wise man will know how to speak properly, and he, you know, he can read the room and you know say the right things and lead to the right conclusions. And the fools' words will conceal him. Like mm. he'll make grand promises or he'll say things that'll give away that he doesn't know what he's talking about or something like that. But then at the same time, we see that kings often put fools in the place of adv- advisors yeah. um, rather than the wise men because yeah. you know they won't chastise the king, and so they get. They get elevated, even though in other times we know that the wise person is the one to listen to. Mm. And so it's just like, like, what do we do about this? Yeah, um yeah. So this, I think, this particular section is quite interesting because he just goes all out. Like in in the previous sections, he's often given like a chunk, like a few sentences to one of the vignettes that he looks at. In this section, he's just like, and this thing, and this thing, and that thing, and that thing, and that thing, and that. It so just doesn't make sense. Nothing makes sense anymore. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now I'll just list, list, mm, listing off examples for effect. Yeah. Um, it's so pervasive. It, it affects every aspect of life. Yeah. I mean, you sort of see this in Hebrews as well, actually. Oh, yeah? He has um, Hebrews 11, you've got the whole faith where he's got this story and then this story and this figure and this figure. And then we don't even have to talk, to talk about Samson and Yideon and this person and that person and that person. It just starts like by the end, he's just mounting a case and being like, and, 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 mm. and. Mm. Um, almost like... I could go on, but you got the point. You get the point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so in all of this, we see, I think when you come out of it, if you try to read through it, I mean, it's not a very long section. If you just read through it, you kind of get the sense like, he clearly thinks wisdom is good. But at the same time, it's not like this ironclad thing. It's not a silver yeah. bullet kind of thing. Mm. It's just like, use it when it's good to use it, or like to the extent that it's good to use it, but then sometimes just recognize that you're going to come up against a impenetrable situation and that's just how it is kind of thing yeah um which is the same idea um we saw before the question now is like okay well how do you live in this context how do you this this feels like a very chaotic way that life goes where things have disproportionate effects in ways that they shouldn't Mm -hmm. and sort of like well what am i supposed to do then right and i think there, chapter 11 it's actually kind of interesting it's not always does he have sort of a up until now he hasn't really had like most of his advice in one section but it seems yeah, he does. He just like kind of leaves his advice to the last section. Um, that's I mean, people might have heard this phrase before. But cast your bread upon the waters, for you'll find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth, right? Which is like, cast your bread upon the waters. Why would you do that, right? Like I mean, we're not talking about like giving food to ducks or something. Like that's not that's not what we're <laughs> that's not what we're doing here. Well, that's what, always what I think about. But it's he's basically saying like, give stuff a go, like. Mm you know like see what happens you don't know what's going to happen you know so sometimes it's worth taking a risk or or just yeah. seeing what happens and then going going for it i think the give a portion to 7 or even to 8 that's sort of like you know it's kind of interesting that's sort of a righteousness kind of vibe that you kind of get there where it's like yeah, give your money when you know like not all of it but like give it away like don't hoard it because like disaster will come and you won't get to enjoy it anyway yeah. you know at least you at least you spread some good you know like yeah I mean, he's already, by this point, he's already told some pretty depressing stories about people who tried to make these clever investments and found themselves, you know, without any of it Yeah. to see for themselves. And um, give it away. Maybe you'll make some friends. Maybe you'll yeah. help people look after right. you when things go wrong. You don't know what the, You're thinking about this one thing, right? Like, about best investments, all these sorts of things. But, like, you don't know what's going to happen. Mm. Like, yeah, you could, you could make friends. They could save you in a really tough time after all your investments go sour or something like that. Yeah. You don't know. No one knows. Just, just do it. Just yeah. see what happens. Right? Um, I love verse 3. 11 verse 3 says, If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, they will lie. <laughs> yeah. It's bizarre. But if you think about it, it's like, oh, the clouds don't stay how they are. They empty themselves out. And the tree stays where it is. Mm. So it's like if you're looking to nature for a guidance of how this might work, it's like, nah. Sometimes it does what it's supposed to do, sometimes it doesn't. You don't know. Yeah. Like who knows? <laughs> there's, there's this really interesting take from um George Athos, who um he so he wrote a really interesting paper on the um his proposal for the historical context of ecclesiastes, which he puts in um the, the Hellenistic period. Mm-hmm. Um and actually at at some points, he he looks at some um some of the stories that Kohela tells, and is like, well, I mean, if we see this person as these characters over here, and this figure over here is that character over there, then actually we can map this onto some fairly specific historical events that give us a pretty good idea about when Kohela was writing in that time period. Mm-hmm. That's mainly in chapter four that he that he focuses, and we don't need to go into the specifics of his case. But given the the politics and the the empires that were, um, sort of in the political game of the day um when um alexander the great died he didn't make clear which of his sons was supposed to inherit the kingdom he was supposed to take over from it as his heir and so you've got um all of his different sons now thinking it's me i'm gonna take it Mm -hmm. it's i'm gonna be the one in in, in control and so what was the the mighty greek empire that was the biggest takeover that the world had ever seen up until that point, if I'm not mistaken, became this really fractured um, Mm. kingdom with different sons of Alexander now vying for power and territory. And in this specific area, you've got um, the Seleucids in the north and you've got the Ptolemies in the south and they're both vying for power in this central region. And so you've got Jerusalem um, where Kohelet is um, sort of, caught in the crossfire between the enemies in the north and enemies in the south and you still see allusions to this in daniel 11 as well and so his his take is that here and in a couple other places as well um you've when kyle is talking about the south and the north actually what's behind that is these political powers that are vying for um control over the region okay and so when he says that a tree falls to the north or to the south that's where effectively kyle is saying you know Um, You know, whether it falls to the south, whether it falls to the north, you know, we don't have control over that. Mm. So, um, again, fitting into his um, bigger picture of things don't always go the way that we expect them to. That God's in control of them all, but actually we don't know what God might necessarily be doing. Mm. Makes the case that, well, you know, whether it falls to the Seleucids or to the Ptolemies, Mm. you know... There it will fall, there it'll be Yeah. Go okay. with it. That's very interesting. Yeah. Um Yeah, as to your point about like it's up to God, I mean that's pretty much what he goes on to say, right? Exactly, so, like, yeah. We don't know what we don't know how this stuff works and we don't know how the work of God and who makes everything it's like, okay, so just like figure out what you can do while you have your life. Um so he does now go on to say like um, you know, fear God in your in the days of your youth. Uh although hang on, does he say Yeah? So in verse 9, before he gets to chapter 12, he says, like... Okay, let us Let me take a step back there. Um, so verse 8 to 10 are, like, the, the closing thoughts before he gets to his, like, final conclusion over the whole section in chapter 12. Mm. And he says, like... He kind of has this interesting thing where he says, "Uh, you know, if a person lives long, like, I do rejoice in them because he doesn't know what's going to come. Like, he doesn't know what's coming. Mm. So the, but you're kind of thinking, like... Oh, he says, all that comes is heaven in verse 8, right? And so he's like, well try then, while you can as a young man, to enjoy your life, you know, because you don't know what's going to come, it could be good, it could be bad, it's like all random, <laughs> it's all chance, yeah. uh, from your perspective. Um, he says, enjoy with the, your heart, you know, with walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all of these things, God will bring you into judgment. So he's you know, still got this like fear of God aspect in mind, but like, enjoy yourself. Mm. Um, and then he's like, remove vexation from your heart and put away the pain of your body for use, for use in the door life or heaven. So even like... The youth area is also heavily. Don't think, like, that's the key to being in off office to have a good time when you're young. Mm. It's all heavily. Yeah. You know? Like, while you're young, try and make the best of it. Like, you don't know what's going to come, but, like, realize even now, you, yeah. you don't know. You have no idea. I mean, the analysis paralysis we were talking about in the previous episode, um, we were sort of talking about wisdom, and, like, you could sit there being overwise and find that you just don't make any decisions mm. because... You're busy analyzing every possibility. He says in verse four, the one watching the wind doesn't plant and the one who sees clouds doesn't harvest because you don't know the way of the wind. You don't know what's coming. Um, so get on with it mm. um, because your days are running out. Mm. Yeah, totally. You I mean, think they are elusive. Totally. You can't hold on to them. The, and the idea of vexation is also connected to wisdom. When he tries to search out by things what to do with wisdom... He he the heart is full of vexation in Mm. in chapter one. Uh, Yeah. So yeah. yeah, It's the same idea. It's like if you try to do this, if you try to figure out what's going on, like as if there's some kind of rule that encompasses everything, like you're just you're just gonna be disappointed. So don't don't bother. (laughs) Just do your best, like live a good life. Um I see actually and so in verse ten, I don't know how you've translated it, but it says mine says, and put away pain from your body, but I think it's actually put away evil from your body. Um discard vexation from your heart and let ill feelings pass out of your flesh. Okay. But and are elusive. Okay. Yeah. It's like just have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Within the fear of God. So he, he still has like God's gonna judge you. God's the one who makes everything. This was the basis for the fear of God in chapter three. Mm. Um so like that's always gonna be present there. But, but it I mean he is has been saying since consistently since chapter three, like, like just enjoy what God gives you to do, because like if you try and place it in predicting what's going to come next you're just going to be disappointed like in your it's going to be very bleak for you yeah um and so yeah then we have his closing words in chapter 12 verse 1 to 8 um which are start out kind of positive and then just depressing just very depressing um so i'll just read them for us uh <laughs> he says remember you're created in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say i take no pleasure in them before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent. And the grinders cease because they are few and those who those who look through the windows are dimmed. And the doors on the streets are shut and the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird. And all the daughters of the song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are on the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go after the, go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and dust returns to the earth, as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Hevel of Hevel, says the Kohelet, kah- everything is Hevel. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> um, very positive ending. But it, it is sort of like, a, the things won't be good. So don't try, like, they're not necessarily going to be good. So don't mm-hmm. try and, like, stake your happiness in that. Yeah. Rather, remember your creator, um, enjoy things while you can, uh, as a gift from him in the fear of God, and, like, take it day by day kind of thing, you yeah. know? Yeah. yeah. Which is what he's been saying. Um, but, yeah, it's a very bleak way of <laughs> concluding. I think it, it kind of speaks to the fact that, like, he doesn't see his solution as necessarily, like, I figured it out it's yeah. like a it's a necessary consequence of what reality is like but he's he's not saying necessarily that you're going to be um you're not going to be better off right because that's he's he's rejected that way of um approaching mm-hmm. happiness yeah um you're going to be living life to its fullest and sometimes it's going to suck and sometimes it's going to be great and like that's just how it is yeah yeah it, it very much does seem just make the most of it while you can um there was something else I was going to say it's done <laughs> <It's> <gone. laughs> yeah so I mean it's it's quite an interesting uh, conclusion uh, I think it's it's interesting because in this section he doesn't actually speak about Hevel for a long time for like two chapters he just doesn't mention Hevel yeah. he goes through examples of what would be Hevel but only towards the end does he actually start using the word again yeah well he mentions in chapter 11 um, the first yeah twice in chapter 11 um, he talks about Hevel mm mm-hmm. He doesn't talk about it in chapter 10. He doesn't mention heavily at all in chapter 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he does talk about it in chapter 11, um, he talks about everything to come is elusive. And he talks about youth and vigor being elusive. And mm. you know, he already talks about it in chapter 12 until his conclusion. Although arguably much of what he's saying there in chapter 12 is a reprise of some of the conclusions that he's already made yeah mm. it's like, okay cool we're talking about like things shutting down in the bleak future that but I mean he's alluded to some of that already yeah yeah I kind of see chapter 12 one to 8 as like the second conclusion mm. like we saw in the royal experiment those last few verses of chapter 2 where he's like nah, I guess we've got <laughs> to do yeah. this thing right um, this is sort of his conclusion of the the second um, his, his like investigation since he started in chapter 3 yeah um, yeah, it would be nice if he just tied a bonnet, wouldn't it? Like yeah. He was like, yep, yeah, we figured it out. Don't worry, if you do this, everything's going to be fine. No, yeah. like, nah, I mean, I'm sorry, it's not. Like, that's just how it is. Yeah. The last bit then, it's not, so chapter 12 verse 8 is not the end of the book. Right. I um, that. It's right. the end of Kohelet's speech. Kahelet's speech. So right at the beginning, we had this, like, one verse at the beginning, which was like, these are the words of Kohelet whatever whatever and then Kohelet started speaking yeah and now we we Kohelet's like sort of gets off a soapbox (laughs) gives the mic back to the MC yeah and uh the MC now or the author has his final words to say um about about things and it's been quite interesting I mean if you read the literature there's a lot of debate about whether the author and Kohelet uh agree with each other Mm. so a lot of the people who think that Kohelet is um a heretic of some kind (laughs) or like a and an example of who not to be what yeah. not to be um they which for the record is not difficult to see i mean we've seen that yep. he can be quite jarring at yeah. times yeah. yeah very grating in, in the things that he says and they'll they, they typically affirm that the author is orthodox and he's saying like he basically gave kohelet the mic um to show you that how to kind of let him destroy himself yeah and then like takes it over and, and gives his final few words yeah, what they've likened that to, I think, is the friends in Job, um, who right. like say the wrong things, um, even though they've given they're given a voice in the book. Yeah, um, I I don't really like that because it firstly the comparison isn't as apt as I think people think it is. Yeah, um, we're looking at five verses, six verses here at the end of this entire book. We're saying that's the orthodox, and the rest of it is unorthodox. That's the one aspect I don't like about it, just in terms of just from the start, I'm not a fan of that <laughs> that amount of uh, attention given. Yeah. Sexually, we, you expect a, at least a little bit more engagement. Right. In, so in Job, there's a lot of pushback from Job, right? Yeah. And then you also have a very clear-cut conclusion at the end, which is Job spoke rightly. God says Job spoke rightly. You guys didn't, like, screw you. <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas we don't see anything like that here. Yeah. Um, and then I think thirdly, like, I think in the course of this, we've seen Kohelet pretty much say exactly what the author says yeah um, so you know fear god um take pleasure in what you're doing i uh, don't you know trust in him he will judge everything we don't know how that judgment is going to work but he will judge everything because it's a time for everything mm. um and so like spare that in mind kind of thing and mm. that's pretty much what the author says particularly at the end right the end of, this is the end of the manner all has been heard fear god and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man for god will bring every deed to judgment with every secret thing whether good or evil mm the, I mean, it's perhaps also worth pointing out that the conclusion says that Kohelet is a wise oak. Right. <laughs> um, the teacher sought to find, or Kohelet sought to find, oh, in, in fact, a verse before. In addition um, to Kohelet being a wise man, he constantly taught people knowledge. He weighed, explored, arranged many proverbs. Uh, Kohelet sought to find delightful sayings and write words of truth accurately. That, I mean, that all sounds like, um, I mean, it sounds like he's quite the fan mm. um, or that, you know, at least thinks quite positively of Kohelet. And then in verse 11, sort of does business with what we just pointed out, that sometimes he can be quite jarring. Mm. Uh, the sayings of the wise are like catapods <laughs> and those um, from masters of collections are firmly embedded nails. Like, there, there's a sense in which, yeah, okay, the truth is hard to hear. Mm. Sure, we might not have liked everything that Kohelet had to say. We might not have It might not have always sat well with us, but actually, he's a realist. Mm. And, um, yeah, sometimes the truth is just hard to hear. Even this thing where he says, my son, in verse 12, my son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end, and much study... Uh, is a wariness of the flesh. Mm. That's that's kind of like what he was talking about with being overwise, right? Mm. Like, you could keep looking at this and hope that you're going to get a different answer and then just, like, depress yourself. Um, but at a certain point, you just be like, okay, yeah, I get what you're saying. Mm. Now I'm going to try to figure out how to live like that, yeah. you know, and then move on with it. Not go and do it. Yeah. yeah. So the question is, uh, okay, so they agree with each other. Are they different people? So most people think they are. I think they're not. You think they're the same person? I think it's the same person. Um, Isn't it a bit weird though <laughs> to pretend to be different people? When when you see when you see that they actually agree with each other quite well, mm. um, or I mean, yeah, there, there doesn't seem to be any real obvious contradiction between them. It does seem like a bit of a strange thing to um, take a book that you disagree with and like. And then write the conclusion to it and call the guy wise like it's mm. the way the stew weeks puts it like slapping a um a smiley badge onto a bomb <laughs> <laughs> like but so the way that the way that he he opens it up to say this is what kohelet says i actually wonder if maybe he's just a kohelet is a literary figure that he wasn't taking somebody else's work writing a title writing a conclusion, partly also because um, this is no knockdown argument. But when I look at um, chapter 7, verse 27, then there doesn't seem to be much reason for the the narrator to pipe up if um, he's just writing a conclusion to somebody else's work. Look at this, I found, said Kohelet. (laughs) <laughs> going from one thing to another, trying to find an explanation. What my soul continually, continually sought, I didn't find. Okay, so there's this exclamation from that saying like, I'm confused, guys. Why did the narrator have to pipe up there? Mm. Um, Again, that's no knockdown argument. Um, Many people, much cleverer than I, have looked at that verse and still thought that there were multiple people there. But it looks a bit odd to me mm-hmm. that the narrator would feel the need to put something in the middle of... A book that he had received Mm. um so yeah and i i sort of wonder if um he's taken um kohelet as a um as a sort of alias Mm. remembering something that we mentioned in a previous episode that kohelet is um the the meaning of the, the of the hebrew word kohelet is um from the root kahal, which means to gather. Hmm. And one of the things that we saw from um, Jenny Barber, she's, she looks at the royal experiment particularly in the beginning. Um, other things too. Which, but, by the way, is an example of putting on a persona, right? Like this well, person is yep. not afraid of putting on personas. Yeah. Because um, he, he had that persona of the king in chapters 1 and 2 and then took that off in chapter yeah. 3 and then continued moving on to the next thing. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But in putting on that persona, um, yes, he was taking Solomon as sort of a centerpiece, his, um the key figure in Israel's history who was, um, you know, paradigmatically wise, but also alluded to Hezekiah in some places, mm. also alluded to David in some other places, and took a bunch of the kings and actually gathered them together. Um, and then in chapter three, by the time he's actually sort of taken off the the, the kingly mask, looks through, again, something that we saw in, in, in one of our previous episodes, where he looks through the life and times of the nation of Israel when he goes through the the different seasons that we go through that there are little um, kind of tidbits there that cast our mind back to other events in the Old Testament to say that this is not as simple as um, different things happen at different times in a generic sense Mm. but that we're recalling where we are in history having looked back on the life and times of the nation of Israel. So all this to say that I think there's there's something that, that's quite deliberately being done here um, to say, um, let me cast your mind through the lens of this particular character through these different aspects and events and features of the Old Testament brought together with our experience of things as it is. So yeah, a very long way of saying that. Yeah, I mean, it, these are some of the strategies that he's taking to. It kind of does make sense to do that if you if you're like supposed to be this measured guy, right? If you're trying to, and he does, he does kind of take on that uh that stance, when he says, like in, twelve verse twelve, like, "My son, beware of anything beyond these." So he's he's trying to be caution and careful and all these things, but he needs to say, he needs to like convey a message which is just blunt and like harsh and like you just need to hear this kind of thing mm. it kind of makes sense for him to put on a character to do that right um even though he's not disagreeing with it he's not like you know playing being a devil's advocate or anything like that but it's just sort of the way that he does it is very brash and harsh and like mm. well, this is just how it is like deal with it, kind of thing i don't know it kind of makes sense perhaps given some of the more political Aspects of it of what he's had to say, and if George Athus is right that this is mapping onto particular events in particular times with particular people, um, there could be a sense of he gets nailed for saying certain things. Well, I didn't say it; I did. <laughs> I was just making up a story. Yeah, he's already sort of been like a little bit fast and loose with some of the details. There's a reason he didn't say, "Well, you know, Joseph Tobias said this." Yeah, like right. he, he says, there was a man that I heard about. Yeah. Everyone in the know knows what he's saying. Let the reader and understand. I didn't, yeah, let the reader know. But it's like... Uh, there's plausible deniability in, the, in, yeah. the, in that landscape. So, yeah, given the consistency, I wonder if it was just one person rather than... So we're like the opposite side of that, that, like, portion of scholarship that says these guys are completely, not only are they different, but they're, like, against each other. Yes, yeah. <laughs> we're, like, within the, gr- the sizable group, that says, no, they agree with each other. And then we're saying, no, actually, they're probably even the same person. Yeah. It's difficult. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I think it makes sense. I never thought about it. I, to me, it was always a question of whether they agreed or not. Yeah. But I always kind of took for granted that they were different people i think that's the first question do they disagree or not and perhaps the more important question um it is where i mean it is maybe worth just acknowledging that this is the minority position Mm. that the vast vast majority of scholars whether they think that that and the narrator agree think that they're different people Hmm. um the only people that i'm aware of that think that they're the same person is michael fox and Stuart weeks okay um They come to a lot of very different conclusions all the way through the book. Yeah. But um on this particular point they they're like, yeah, no. Khalid very plausibly seems to be just a literary creation of the author. I mean it does fit with what how he behaves in the book, and then it also explains those like weird interjections in the in the middle of the book. So yeah. Yeah. It's got some value to it. But cool. I think that's it. That's the end. Uh not only is it the end of Ecclesiastes, uh, but it's the end of Wisdom in the Old Testament for now. Yeah. I say for now because we'll probably come back at some point. But uh, Yeah, there's every possibility. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about this one. Um, I don't know what we're doing next. If we decided. We've thrown different ideas. We've thrown on some different ideas, but I think it might be too soon to say. Okay. So you'll have to wait and see until the next episode. Um, it might be a bit longer. Uh, it might not come out in two weeks' time. Uh, but it will come out at some point. But in... Uh, addition to liking and subscribing mm. on YouTube, you might also want to follow us on our social media. So at uh, FSU underscore South Africa. It's in or, the it's um, in the description of everything. So it's in the description of the podcast episodes and the YouTube t- on the YouTube things. You can also go to our website face seeking understanding dot uh, today. It's all there as well. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for joining. See you in the next one.